Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Since early 2017, inmates in the Indiana Department of Correction have been unable to receive non-legal correspondence not written on white lined paper in white envelopes. An injunction ordered by the United States District Court for the Southern District of Indiana has put that policy on hold, however. On September 24th, Judge William T. Lawrence granted a motion to halt the policy filed by Ken Falk of the ACLU. Mr. Falk is representing two inmates incarcerated in the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility who are suing the IDOC on the grounds that its mail policy violates their First Amendment rights. The IDOC implemented its mail policy in a pair of executive directives claiming that synthetic narcotics were being trafficked into facilities by being absorbed into paper and sent through the mail. To date, the IDOC has provided no data to the extent of this alleged issue. Inmates and outside advocates have expressed mounting grievance at the arbitrariness and inconvenience of the policy. Mr. Falk maintains that the policy is an undue burden on inmates and their families. This week, we have a set of stories from a panel of the formerly incarcerated. Recorded at the Fight Toxic Prisons Conference in Pittsburgh, these panelists, Khalid Rahim, Carrington Keyes, and Isaac Sanchez, all have their own insights to share from their time on the inside. My name is Khalid Rahim. I'm a former member of the Black Panther Party from out of Philadelphia. And uh, I was arrested in 1971 for the charges of aggravated robbery, conspiracy, and possession of explosives, hand grenades. Uh, I was subsequently sentenced to uh, six to 20 years for the aggravated robbery, one to five years uh, for the possession of the hand grenades and explosives. And while I was incarcerated, I also um, had some additional charges lodged against me. Uh, one was assault by a prisoner, conspiracy and kidnapping, and the second was an assault by a prisoner case on its own. So in the first case, assault by a prisoner kidnapping, in the middle of my trial, I was fortunate enough, um, based on a legal technicality, to have the kidnapping uh, charge dropped, because if it had not been dropped, I would have received life in prison as a convicted prisoner who already had committed a felony, who on top of that, while I was incarcerated, committed another felony. The circumstances behind those particular charges were, in Greatest Ford, um, there was a multitude of incidents um, that resulted in prisoners um, being locked up in solitary confinement, some prisoners becoming so depressed that they committed suicide, prisoners being basically force-fed medications by a quack doctor. Those medications resulted in prisoners becoming depressed, and those prisoners became very vulnerable to suicidal ideation, and they also became very vulnerable um, in terms of being attacked by guards. So while myself and other prisoners were incarcerated in solitary confinement, we came up with what we thought was a great idea at the time. <laughs> which was to overpower the guards, take the keys, and make demands that something changed. So out of the three or four of us who conspired to commit this act, um, 
one brother got tear gas right away, thrown back in his cell. The other one got locked right away, and he couldn't do anything. So I was left in the middle of the hallway in solitary confinement with a shank to a guard's neck and trying to make some demands. So make a long story short, I was charged for that. State police came. They didn't shoot me through the window as they had originally planned to do. I was blessed that there was an older prisoner there who had enough sense to convince me at 19 or 20 years old that my life wasn't over yet, that I need to just slowly put the shank down, move away from the guard, and back up into my cell. And he assured me that uh, he would make sure that the warden had an opportunity to hear what our grievances were. At that particular point, indeed, some prisoners in solitary had actually committed suicide. And so that was one of our major reasons for taking the move and, and, and doing the things that we did. So that was the first case. The second case was just being a young guy. Uh, some of my comrades from the Panther Party was coming to visit me. I was already in the hole. I told the social worker, make sure you process my permit or my application for the visit. He didn't do it in a timely fashion. Around this time, and this was just this was 20 years before they did what they did to your crew. But um, at this point, there was an effort in Pennsylvania to round up all the prisoners who they deemed as militant, revolutionary, rebellious, so forth and so on. And they were going to put us in this secluded prison, right? But before that could happen, there had to be this process of evaluation. And so I was put on this list, even though I was one of the young, I was one of the youngest guys at this point. I was put on this list and I was in the process of being evaluated. I was already in the hole. And to show you how deep it was, even though the death penalty had been abolished within the state of Pennsylvania, they actually put me on death row, right? So I'm on death row. I'm about 19 years old. They call me up for this evaluation. They take me to a separate area from solitary, because solitary in, in greatest for at that time, it may still be the same, was a separate building unto itself. They take me to, I guess, the main building in this area where I'm supposed to go through this evaluation process, which I just didn't understand what kind of evaluation he could possibly do, because at that point in my life, I didn't have too much of any type of personality, right? But anyway, make a long story short, I happened to see the head counselor, right, who was a social worker. I happened to see him walking up the hall, the same guy who I had given my request slip to for my visit, for my comrades from the Panther Party, right? And I saw him, so the test was over. So I jumped up and said, yo, my man, what about that request slip? And he looked at me, he said, man, get out of my face. And he started walking down the hall. So I got up, I started walking down the hall behind him. And the guards jumped up, they started walking down the hall behind me. Dude started running, I started chasing him, guards started chasing me. Make a long story short, I chased him in his office, beat him up, the guards beat me up, handcuffed me, took me back to the hall, and I was like, okay, I'm back on death row when there's no death penalty, I'm waiting. Later on that night, here come the state police. What y'all here for? Just let you know, you got a right to remain silent. Da, 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 da. I said, but I'm already in the penitentiary, in the hole on death row. And they said, you got a right to remain silent. <laughs> so they charged me again. That charge, how was that finally processed? Is this, this is how it happened. So I had, I had the charge I was doing the time for, the 25 year sentence. Then I had the two open cases. I wound up in Western Penitentiary, right? 
Make a long story short, they wind up sending me to Western Penitentiary. I'm sitting up in Western Penitentiary. They put me in a hole, put me in a step-down program, right? Um, some of the older brothers at Western that you all know, they got with me and said, young brother, you seem like you got a chance, but you got to slow down a little bit. What about going to school? So I said, okay, what kind of programs they have? They said, well, they got programs from Community College, Allegheny County. They got programs from the University of Pittsburgh. They got some classes on psychology, black history, and culture. I said, well, psychology, not knowing the difference between psychiatry and psychology, but having been in the Panther Party, and I studied Franz Fanon, so I knew he had something to do with psycho something. I said, okay, I'll take the psychology classes, right? So I started taking the psych classes, and um, I went through that process. I went through the step-down program, but they kept me locked up in the hole for a year straight. So the guards and I guess the court administrators and their great wizard, they woke up one day and said, okay, you got to go to a hearing. They took me back down to Philadelphia to go to a magistrate's hearing for the last case. And I went in front of the judge and the judge looked, he said, is this a, is this a mistake? He said, what do you mean? He said, this happened over a year ago. Well, where was this gentleman at? Did he escape? They said, no, Your Honor. Well, where was he at? Did he make parole? He said, no, Your Honor, we had him in solitary confinement for a year. So you put this man back down here a whole year after for a magistrate hearing? He said, that's unconstitutional. So he threw the case out. The other case was a kidnapping case in the middle of my trial, based on legal technicality. The guard testified that he did not hear me make any specific demands. So they stopped my trial. They went out. They debated it. They dismissed the hostage kidnapping charge, right? Found me guilty for the other charges, tacked on a few more years. So make a long story short, I wound up doing 10 years instead of doing seven. Came home, decided to live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Met some beautiful people here, uh, starting from the brothers that I met inside the penitentiary with this brother right here being one of those brothers, Brother George Jones, Yusef Jones. Became one of my closest friends, one of my closest comrades. And um, I came home, and I've been in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania ever since. I came home, I hit the street, um, I started organizing and working in different formations. Um, I became a member of uh, a group called MBIB, National Black, you know, Independent Political Party. Um, I got involved with other local groups and organizations throughout the Pittsburgh area. And uh, so that's really about it. I've been out, I've been working, I've been organizing, I've been married, I've been unmarried, I've been raising children. And the reason I can't stay is because my granddaughters are graduating from high school. My name is Carrington Keys. I spent 19 years in prison. I originally went to prison at the age of 18 for armed robbery, serving a five to 20 year sentence. While in prison, I became politically and socially conscious. In Pennsylvania prisons that I was in, they were heavily, heavily concentrated by guards who were members of white supremacist groups in Northeast Pennsylvania, Monahoy, Dallas, Frackville, and Retreat. All of these prisons are in areas where, that are heavily concentrated by white supremacist groups. So I would receive literature in the mail that was 
black conscious and politically conscious. And they would take my literature, they would come to my cell, and they would harass me because they didn't like anybody that was conscious or that was learning about themselves and trying to do something positive. They didn't want us to wake up. And uh, also, I would share my literature with other young, young people that was my age because it was mostly older dudes that was into black liberation and being conscious and being politically and socially aware. So I began to have battles with the prison administration where I was constantly placed in a hole in solitary confinement. So I had to learn the law in order to be able to defend myself against constantly being targeted for harassment. I ended up being shipped to like nine different prisons, being sent from one solitary confinement unit to another. And all together, I spent about 11 years in solitary confinement. I'm from a group that's called the Dallas Six, which is six prisoners who stood up on April 29, 2010 against the brutality that was taking place within SCI Dallas's solitary confinement unit. Everything was going on from male deprivations to food deprivation to prisoners being beat to prisoners being coerced to commit suicide, mental health inmates that was, uh, wasn't being given medical, mental health treatment, but they was encouraging them to kill themselves. It was one inmate in particular named Matthew Bullock who in 2009, he signed up, said he wanted, to, he wanted to hurt himself. And instead of putting him under observation, they put him in a hole. And they had him in a cell, a camera cell. And they took him out of the camera cell and put him in a regular cell. Guards came around calling him a child molester and stuff and told him, just kill yourself. So they gave him the sheets and he killed himself. So me and my comrade, Isaac Sanchez, along with other brothers that was at Dallas with us, we got involved in an investigation with the Human Rights Coalition called Institutionalized Cruelty. And we began to submit reports to the Human Rights Coalition about all the things that was taking place at SCI Dallas. And after we did that, we became targets of the administration. So they would target us, they would uh, attack, they would uh, stop our mail from going out. They would interfere with the mail that was coming in. They would uh, deprive us of showers and yards for days and just leave us in the cell. Um, attack some of us when we came out of the cell. And uh, it just came to a point where we said enough is enough. And on April 29, 2010, that was the date, that was the breaking point. Matter of fact, April 28, 2010, they strapped one of us down into a restraint chair. They strapped him down in a restraint chair and he was in there like all night. And he was saying his circulation was being cut off. And we said, no, that's it. We gotta do something about this. So a group of us decided to cover up our cell doors. So when the guards came around, they was like, well, what's going on? We were just silent. So they had to go and call the higher ups to alert them about what was going on. So from there, we brought it to the attention of, of a higher correction officials that our friend was, uh, was in a restraint chair. We wanted him out of there because he could possibly die being in a restraint chair. So 
they took him out of the restraint chair eventually, but then they came around and told us they had to come and search ourselves to make sure we wasn't harming ourselves. We had already took everything now, but now they wanted to get a chance to get their hands on us, take our property and stuff. So we knew they was going to attack us or whatever, so we tied off the doors, the bottom of the doors, to stop them from coming in the cell. They came and cut the sheets, and they sprayed us with pepper spray from, they had back vents behind ourselves. They came to the back vents and sprayed us with pepper spray, tried to uh, force us to come out. We refused to come out, but eventually they got in, beat us up, emergency transferred me automatically mm -hmm. to another jail. Then they charged us with riot. They charged us with riot, and they charged me with six assault charges. They said I assaulted six officers. Keep in mind, they had on Star Wars suits. <laughs> they said I assaulted these guys. So I had to fight these charges for seven years. And eventually, I ended up winning the charges and only got found guilty of disorderly conduct. When we went to court, they brought helicopters to our court hearing. They said we were trying to escape. They had state police helicopters following us to the court. I said, we don't got no people dropping out the sky. We don't got resources like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm going to cut it short, though, because I, I know it's other people that want to speak, but thank you for hearing me out. My name, um, anyway, my name Isaac Sanchez. Um, like, like he was referred to. I got, I got locked up for um home invasion or whatnot, and um, I ended up maxing out eight years. Got in a couple um assault situations, stabbings. I ended up getting stabbed too. You can see right here, back here, and got stabbed in my back. That happened in um in Cold Township or, um, or whatever. Once that happened in Cold Township, they put me in um, in solitary confinement. But I went I went down there on um, administrative custody because obviously I'm the one that got stabbed, right? But the thing with, the thing with that was that they was trying to um, pressure me to like, you know, snitch on who it was or whatever, or the people that did it. I mean, I told them that um, yeah, I mean, the way I was raised, there's never been no, no type of snitching in um in my family's blood and nothing like that. Then I ended up getting transferred to um to SEI um Dallas, which is supposed to be when you go to another um another facility upstate, it's supposed to be like for you could get released to um general population or whatnot in order for you to get um, rehabilitated in a sense for um, get involved in programs, education that they, that they provide in there so you can um, start getting in the process to get uh, paroled, um, I mean paroled or whatever. Anyway, um, when I went there, um, mysteriously the, uh, the superintendent that I had in Cold Township I mean, it, 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 to me, the, the, the way I analyzed it, it had to be strategized out. Like the same superintendent that was there, he must have waited till for me to get transferred for him. Yeah, I mean, he must have knew he was already going to work over there because when I got transferred, but when I went in there, I sat down, they got me shackled up or whatnot. 
And it was, it was wild though because when I looked at him, he I didn't recognize him at all. And, and then he um he pop quizzed me like he asked me a question and he was he was like, do you remember my promise? And I was like, and I looked at him again. You you know as soon as he said that like his facial came to appearance, I, I swear man like I recognized the like the Satan in this guy man. Mm. <laughs> yeah I mean, facts man. When, when I looked at him, like, his whole face turned, like, tomato color and everything. Like, he was serious, man. And he was like, I, I was like, nah, not really, you know what I mean? But I did, though. He said basically the same thing exists. You know, I got I got two kids or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I constantly got visitation um, rights and stuff like that. They came constantly every week or every other week. But he told me um, that if I didn't tell him, you know what I mean, who... Um, how that situation took place or who did it, that um he was gonna keep me locked down in solitary confinement as a way to uh I guess shattering me, you know what I mean? Anyway, he told me basically that and then he told me that that if anything, you know, if you ain't got nothing to talk about, you could basically go two step back to yourself and rot in there, you know what I mean? I mean my response to that was that um I mean that's not my job, you know what I mean? Even if I even if I do know or I don't know who 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 attacked me or whatever. The, the fact of the matter is that that's your job. You get paid for that. I'm just locked up doing my time. I don't get paid dollar signs um to work to work along with you and help you out with your investigations and all that. But he told me to go back to my side. I stayed in there for like um I think like um two to two to three years or something like that total. There's a lot of things that took place um be, be, before that um. You know, Dallas six situations uh, occurred or whatever. Like, they starving people for their meals. I mean, it's bad enough. You gotta go. You 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 gotta go to the what they call a playground, but it's like a. I mean, it's a dog cage like, and they carry and, and, and the wild thing about it that they got handcuffs back here, but they also got a leash on it. I mean, I felt like a pit bull or something going out there. You go to the shower, you got, you know, brown stains on your um on your boxes, they switching razor blades on people and stuff like that. Like people got AIDS and stuff like that in there. I mean you, and I I I I even told Sandra, I was at I, I I was I ain't going front. It came to the point where, you know, um I was at a lesson, I I was wild, I ain't I ain't had no um no sense or whatever, you know what I mean? I just had one direction. Him right here, he was the, yeah. I mean, he was he was giving me a lot of uh, wisdom and knowledge, like on books and stuff like that. While I was down there, I mean, I started analyzing. But it's it, like I told her, you can fear you can fear a devil at one time because they they vicious, man. You can fear him at one time, but once you start seeing like like he said Matthew Bolock, like suicide situations taking place and they murdering people, like, that wasn't suicide. Like that's that's direct murder. You know what I mean? It's murder, man. At the end of the day, the police in there, they um they 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 might got problems with each other and beef, but when it comes for them to go against us, I mean they gonna unite with each other and they gonna torture us and, and, and do whatever they have to do, you know what I mean? Comrades is different though. We don't got that um, you know I mean, that type of pleasure, that that that, that type of comrade force or nothing like that. At, after that suicide took place, like the warden came at nighttime in the middle of the night. When, when when that happened, like he was in the camera cell first, and then they took him out the camera cell and put him in a regular cell. That way, the the camera footage can't catch. Yeah, you know I mean, what really going on? I was in a cell beside uh a comrade. He was getting on play. He was getting starved for his meal for like a couple of days or um or whatnot. They didn't want to feed him. Every time um 
right for his lunch, dinner time, came there, just rode a car by itself. I started peeping at me. I, I didn't even know my neighbor. I ain't talked to him or nothing. But um, I kept seeing that. So I said, you know what, man? He came with the trade. Yeah, I mean, I ain't going for it. I held it. I mean, I said I didn't, but um, I, I had held the tray or whatever. Yeah, I mean, but they just they just left it in my cell. Yeah, I mean, but they was asking for it back. They left it in there. Then they uh, all of a sudden they came with a um, they 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 told me I had a um, I had a move out the cell. But he he came to me cause we got in, into a verbal um like a verbal dispute. I told him like that man, you oppressing my neighbor man. Like I'm standing with with him. Yeah, I mean. I sat down and it was like some some big fat piggy. Like he was sweating when he came to myself. Like I got up, I went over there, I didn't know what was going on. And he kept telling me, yo, you gotta uh you you gotta move or you um or we coming up in there. And then I sat down, he was still standing there when, when I standed up again, I looked to the side, like the, the left side, and it was like eight of them back there. And then they went and got sued. I told him I ain't moving, you know what I mean? It, it, it is what it is, basically. I know what's going to happen to me. They left. They got suited up or whatever. Lieutenant Moser came um, with his goon squad or whatnot. I mean, what should I do? Like, I'll put a shirt around my face just to cover the um, the smell of the, um, the pepper spray or whatever. And then I, I was asking a couple comrades. They was like, yo, put a little water on it or something. Like, I don't know. This is the first time I'm doing it. I put my face in the um, in the toilet because they had turned the, um, the water off. I was trying to survive. I put my face in the toilet. Then I took the uh, the mattress or whatever. I tied it up with a uh, with a sheet. I put my jumpsuit on. I put the uh, the the only pillow I got inside of it. Buttoned it up or whatever. I had the the, the laundry bag. I put it um, full of books. I ain't going front. They 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 they, they came to the cell. They uh they gave me a warning. They they shot the um the spray in there or whatever. And then um they, they sprayed it like three times. And then no matter what, like you, you got the ninja mask on the uh the whatever you had on it, it, it still went through. Yeah, I mean, so I'm really choking, but I'm trying to hold it. And I got the uh the the mattress up or whatever. As soon as they opened the gate, they just all ran in there. I ain't going front. As soon as they come in there, you get like, I mean for me, speaking for me, I just threw the um the laundry bag. Swung two times and they just did whatever they did and I tried to hold the uh the the mattress up. You know I mean, but that didn't last too long, you know what I mean? And they, they put me on the floor, they they had a um like a box cutter, son, they took my um cut my whole jumpsuit open, took my boxes on, I was butt naked in there. And they was choking me with the uh with the shirt. I mean I couldn't breathe or nothing. They was beating me, punching on me, all that. They they had the uh the shield. They got like a electric on it or something. So every time it touch you, you like um shiver or whatever. It electrocute you. They tasing me or whatever. Then they put the shackles on, and all they kept screaming was um stop resisting, stop resisting. I ain't even moving. I can't move. You got eight dudes on top of me. They put the shackles right here, real tight, cutting it up. They put the uh the handcuffs on or whatever. And they dragged they dragged me down the um the whole tent, beat me up inside the uh the law library where they got this um Hannibal like the type chair. They put me on there butt naked and um I had like the uh they they put a strap right here, like a seatbelt strap or something, and they put it real tight where it's cutting my armpits on both sides. And I'm just there like that, like paralyzed basically. 
Every time it, if I try to move my wrist, it would tighten up more. You know, they was spitting on my sandwiches, then handing it to me like that in their hand, telling me to eat it. I mean, I was like, nah, I'm not eating that, man. But I had a on myself. Anytime I had to go to the bathroom, I had a on myself. They didn't give me no bathroom breaks or nothing. But they 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 got rid of the uh rid of the video footage, I guess. And I was in there for like what, 20 hours or something like that. It's real, man. Like you die up in that joint. After that took place, they ended up doing what they did or whatever and um and standed up for um for the corruption and oppression that was taking place in there. That's all I gotta say. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. We also encourage your feedback. You can email us at kiteline at wfhb.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions shared on the show. Please join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.